Hello, everybody. Welcome to the week three edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for stopping by. I know these are tough times for the fan base, so I do appreciate your time. Been a hectic eight days. I can honestly say I'd have to rank this week as maybe a top five week in terms of being eventful and hectic. Since the last time we spoke, the Jets lost Sam Darnold to Mono. They lost Quincy Anunua to a season-ending injury, perhaps career-threatening. They made a historic trade with the Patriots. Uh, their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, threw shade at Odell Beckham. They lost another quarterback to season, uh, season-ending injury in Trevor Simeon. They lost another game, an embarrassing performance on Monday night. They benched their $70 million corner, Tremaine Johnson, and they pissed off their Pro Bowl safety, Jamal Adams. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, probably, but I think you get the picture. The season is already off the rails for the Jets. And, oh, by the way, they travel to New England this weekend where they are a 22-and-a-half-point underdog. I was talking to Kelvin Beecham in the locker room after the game on Monday night, and he had a really interesting quote. He said, quote, when we're in a world of suck right now, end quote. I think that's the quote of the year so far. And the year is still young, so you never know what might be happening in the future. But before we get ahead and look at the Patriots, let's analyze quickly what went wrong on Monday night. You know, injuries, of course, played a big factor, and they've been a factor since the season started. You know, just bad luck. They lose Trevor Simeon to a serious ankle injury. He's going to have surgery. And so you have to play Luke Falk, who's a third-string practice squad quarterback so you don't expect much so yeah there's kind of a built-in alibi there when you have to go to your third quarterback but but that does not excuse 12 penalties actually 14 a couple were declined six pre-snap penalties four on offense two on defense inexcusable jamal adams three penalties in the game very uncharacteristic uh, as a team, this just shows a lack of focus, a lack of discipline. They've got to clean that up. You can't beat anybody with 12 penalties. Pass protection. They give up 13 pressures and four sacks. In 25 of their 35 dropbacks, the Jets used only five blockers. Of course, the offensive line I'm referring to. How about helping some of the tackles? How about helping Kel- uh, Kelvin Beecham block Miles Garrett? Uh, Beecham gave up two sacks and they could have used a tight end or a running back to chip. But no, on 25 of the 35 dropbacks, it was just the five offensive linemen. Kaleche Osemele had a bad game. He had the lowest pass block win rate on the team, according to our ESPN analytics. And the center, Ryan Khalil, had another disappointing game. Tight ends. Cleveland really struggled in week one when Tennessee went to two and three tight end packages. In fact, the Titans scored all their touchdowns with multiple tight ends on the field. You'd think the Jets would want to go to school on that. They did not. They used multiple tight ends on only a handful of plays. They stayed with their base offense, which is three receivers, even after Demarius Thomas went out, which was about a, would seem like a minute after the game started. The defense played well for the Jets. Considering the injuries, that's kind of encouraging. But you can't let Odell Beckham Jr. get a free release 
on a six-man rush. It's a blitz play. He goes 89 for a touchdown. The Jets lined up wrong. I think Neville Hewitt, their middle linebacker, was in the wrong on that play. I think he was supposed to either jam or reroute Beckham. So that's a maybe a function of not having C.J. Mosley there because he probably would have known to do that. So right now the Jets are not a smart team. They're not a cohesive team. Uh, it's not all Adam Gase's fault because of the injuries. There's a lack of depth. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. That goes back to Mike McCagnin, poor drafting, poor free agent pickups. Joe Doug- Douglas inherited most of this situation. Uh, but he hasn't exactly had the Midas touch either. I mean, they trade for Demarius Thomas. He was damaged goods. Came over with a hamstring injury. Now he's got a hamstring and a knee injury. He played six snaps on Monday night. I don't even know if he broke a sweat. Now he's out this week. Khalil, you know, a terrific player through his career, but he's been a disappointment so far. He got pulled in the fourth quarter. Jonathan Harrison went in. Uh, Corey Vedvik, remember him? What a disaster as a kicker. So I think Joe Douglas has to take some of the blame too here. I know he walked in late and to a tough spot, but... It's hard to ignore some of those pickups that he's made. So now, you know, the Jets basically are failing football 101. And now they have to go up to Foxborough to face the magnum cum laudes of the NFL, the Patriots. That is the end of the first quarter. And welcome to the second quarter. This is the Green Room. Each week we invite in a special guest into the Green Room. Except this week, I'm the guest. I got a couple of things I want to vent on. One of the storylines emerging from Monday night's loss, the benching of Tremaine Johnson and the late game benching of Jamal Adams, uh, producing some social media fireworks from Adams. And let's talk about this. First of all, I like it. I like it because it sends a message It creates a level of accountability that was not in existence in the previous regime. I thought Todd Bowles was soft on his players most of the time, and uh, it created a comfort level that should not exist on a football team. So here you have Adam Gase and Greg Williams creating a meritocracy. Tremaine Johnson did not play well in the opener and frankly deserved to be benched. Uh, so really, that's not terribly shocking. The Adams situation, he committed three penalties in the game, two in a row late in the game, and they pulled him out. He only missed five plays, so it's not like he spent a ton of time on the bench. And he did some sulking on social media, and I think he's going to get over it. Look, it's not a question of effort with him. No one plays harder than Jamal Adams. He's a fiery player. Love the attitude, but, you know, he made some mistakes, and I think it sends a message to the team that, hey, if the best guy on the team can get sit down, put down on the bench, then it could happen to me. And so I like that. I think even if the Jets don't have a winning season this year, it sends a message. It creates a foundation, a foundation, a culture that they can build off going forward. So I'm all for it. If you don't produce, you don't play. Uh, it's kind of a Bill Belichick mantra. And speaking of Bill, Jets Patriots this week up in Foxborough, this is going to be extremely, extremely tough. This point spread is something like we haven't seen in a long time. It's a 22 and a half point spread. It's only the second time in the Super Bowl era 
that the Jets have been more than a 20-point dog. The last time was 07 against, yes, the Patriots, 21-point dog. And they actually kept that one close, relatively speaking. They only lost by 10. This New England team has not allowed a touchdown in 12 straight quarters. That includes Super Bowl 53. They could make history on Sunday. The last team not to allow a touchdown in each of their first three games was the 1937 Chicago Bears. You know, everyone talks about the 85 Bears in their defense, but those 37 Bears, they must have been pretty tough too. That stat, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, that is just an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Uh, the, the Patriots are a plus 73 in point differential, which is the highest ever for a Super Bowl champion in their first two games the following year. Uh, again, amazing. In case you're wondering, the highest for any team in the first two games was the 75 Redskins. They were a plus 74. The Patriots just keep on going. I don't know how the Jets are going to cover those receivers. Anthony Antonio Brown, he only played 21 snaps last week against the Dolphins, yet he still had four catches for 56 yards and a touchdown. So now they got Brown, they got Edelman, they got Gordon. They got the running backs coming out of the backfield. They have the greatest quarterback in history and Tom Brady. And hey, look, the Jets, they've been getting the sand kicked in their face for years by these guys. Uh, and you would think it gets to a point where you say enough is enough, but geez, I don't know. I mean, the Jets have lost six straight to the Patriots. Uh, they have lost 14 out of 16. They have not won a game in Foxborough since, and Jet fans are like this memory, since January of 2011, the famous divisional playoff game where the Jets stunned the Patriots. That was the last time they won there. That was can't wait. And yeah, that was a long time ago. That's the last time they won in Foxborough. They won't lose. They won't win on Sunday. I can tell you that it'd be one of the biggest upsets in NFL history. You just look for the Jets with the new quarterback Luke Falk. You know to, to play hard, keep it close, cut down on the penalties. Try not to beat yourselves. They're going to have to play almost a perfect game to beat the Patriots, and I don't see that happening. That's the end of the second quarter. This is the blind side, taking your questions off Twitter. A lot of emotional, passionate Jet fans after Monday night's loss. Can't blame them. So let's jump right into these questions. First one comes from at Ale Alejandro 214. How much dead weight loss would it be if the Jets were to cut Tremaine Johnson this season? And what about next season? Well, here's the situation of the financials, uh, Alejandro. Uh, this year he is making eight million fully guaranteed. So I'd be shocked if the Jets cut him during the year because they're going to own that money no matter what. He is counting 12 million on their salary cap right now. If they were to cut him for argument's sake this week, they would not save a dime. They would get hit with that 12 million in dead money on their cap. So there's no financial benefit. Now, looking ahead to next year, they're going to have to make a decision by the third day of the league year. So you're talking about mid-March. If he's still on the roster the third day of the league year, his $11 million salary becomes fully guaranteed. I do not see that happening. 
Can't see the way things are going that they're going to keep him around next year. Now, unfortunately for the Jets, it doesn't even save him that much money. He'll he's counting 15 million right now on next year's cap. They'll only save 3 million. So again, 12 million in dead money. That hurts. Now you're thinking, what about if they make him a post June 1st cut? Can't do it. Can't do it next year because it's the last year under the CBA and it is an uncapped year and you can't use utilize the June 1st designation. So this uh, Tremaine Johnson contract just hurts all the way around. Uh, next question. How many new starters on the offensive line? This comes from Howard Goldman 9, by the way. How many new starters on the offensive line will there be for the opening week in 2020? I'm guessing three, maybe four. Howard, good guessing there. Uh, look, I could see four for sure. Uh, Beecham, Khalil, and Shell will be free agents. I do not think any of those guys will be back. Kaleche Osemele has an 11.7 million, uh, $11.7 million cap hit. So there's a good chance he won't be back. Uh, Brian Winters is probably the safest to return. But yeah, you could see four new starters on that O-line. That'll be Joe Douglas's number one priority in the offseason. Okay, next one comes from Joe DiProspero. What are the chances that Leonard Williams is still a Jet next season? It feels like the percentage goes down every week. Yeah, Leonard not off to a great start. Uh, not much production in the way of the pass rush. You know, at ESPN, we have all these analytics. And, uh, you know, for the most part, they're accurate. So his pass rush win rate is 6.5%, which is well below the league average. The league average is about 13%, so he's behind in that area. But I will say this, he gets double teamed a lot. In fact, uh, the ESPN analytics say he's been double teamed on 40 pass rushing plays in the first two games. That's a lot. That's by far the most on the team. But Leonard has to, uh, he has to get it going. You know, last year of his contract. And by the way, let me throw in this little footnote that I do not think you're going to like. Third highest pass rush win rate in the NFL, Jaguars rookie Josh Allen, who the Jets passed on to take Quinn and Williams. Sorry, I just had to throw that one in there. Next question, at JK12 underscore 34, do you think the Jets would trade Leonard Williams before the deadline? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, look, if the Jets fall out of contention by midseason, I think they could probably get back a, you know, maybe a two, possibly a three for Leonard Williams. Uh, you know, if you're going to lose him as a free agent, why not? You have to think of making that move. Uh, next question. What, uh, what are the, a few people asked about Jalen Ramsey, so I'll lump it together. What are the chances the Jets try to make a move on Jalen Ramsey, the star corner from Jacksonville who wants to be traded? Uh, reportedly the Jaguars are asking for two number ones. I don't think they'll get that, but they're going to get at least one. When Darrell Revis was traded in 2013, it was a one and a four. I think the Jets should be interested in Ramsey. He's a 24 year old corner. He's arguably the best corner in the league. He's got a little bit of an attitude issue, but I think some of that stems from just not getting along with his coaching staff in Jacksonville. Doug Marone is, can be kind of a prickly coach. He's a hard ass. And I don't think that really works with Ramsey. If I were the Jets, I'd have to investigate this. But I'd want to sign him to a long-term deal first because he only has one year left. He's signed through 2020. It makes no sense to give up a one and something for a player who's only under contract 
for another year. So I'd want to extend that deal. You put him in at corner, you do not have to worry about a CB1 for quite a few years. And our last question comes from at NYJFan1897. Hypothetically speaking, if Luke Falk stays as the QB1 and produces good numbers while Darnold is out and wins a game or two, would you consider keeping him the starter even when Sam comes back healthy? NYJ, no. As soon as Sam Darnold is healthy, he plays. And from all indications now, he is shooting for week five against the Philadelphia Eagles. That is the end of the third quarter. And welcome to the fourth quarter. This is the Red Zone. Now I'm going to take you on a little trip down memory lane today. Not a pleasant trip, mind you, but all this quarterback stuff with the Jets. You got uh, Sam Darnold with mono. You got Trevor Simeon, season-ending ankle surgery. And I know you're thinking the Jets are cursed. It can't get any worse than this. This has to be the worst. Let me tell you something. It's not. It's not even close to the worst quarterback situation. Let me walk you through a little time machine here and tell me what you think of these situations. And I've been around these situations, so I know. 1996, Neil O'Donnell, the big free agent acquisition, comes into New York with all this hope. He blows out a calf muscle while warming up before a game. He actually was on the Jet logo helmet in the end zone. He slipped because it was a little rainy out. He felt a pop in his leg. He actually was limping off the field, and Wayne Corbett went up to him. He thought he was joking. Neil told me this about a year ago. I was talking to him. He said, Corbett said, dude, what's the matter? And Neil goes, I think I blew out my Achilles. And Wayne thought he was joking, but it was serious. He was a calf injury, done for the year. That was 1996. 99, maybe the worst of them all. First day, of the, first game of the year against the Patriots. The Jets are talking Super Bowl. Vinny Testaverde blows out his Achilles. Done for the year. Season's essentially over on opening day. That was a crusher. How about 2003? In the preseason, Chad Pennington breaks his wrist against the Giants. An ugly, ugly injury. He misses six games to start the regular season. They start two and four without Chad, and essentially the season's done by the time he gets back in the lineup. That was rough. Maybe the all-time double whammy in NFL history. In 2005, the Jets are playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Pennington wrecks his shoulder, tears his uh, rotator cuff for the second time in, in a year. They put in Jay Fiedler, local kid out of Long Island. 14 plays after Pennington gets hurt. Fiedler wrecks his shoulder. Season-ending surgery for both those guys. Season pretty much over. And really, for Herm Edwards, his time in New York was over as well. Let's uh, fast forward to 2013. Again, the preseason. Mark Sanchez against the Giants. Rex Ryan inexplicably puts him in the game in the fourth quarter behind the backup offensive line. Boom, he gets creamed by a Giants defensive lineman and he blows out his shoulder. I will never forget walking outside the Jets locker room after the game and Mark's father, a real good guy, was outside and just had that look of concern, a father's look of concern on his face and he was really, really angry 
that his son was put into that game. He was going to be their starter uh, that year, and I don't blame him. 2015, of course, Gino versus IK. The punch heard round the football world. IK walloped Gino in the face, broke his jaw, went to the bench. Really, his career never recovered. In this case, it was kind of a happy ending for the Jets, not so much for Gino, but Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and led him to 10 wins that year. So it was pretty much the end of Gino and the best ball that Ryan Fitzpatrick played in a while. But uh, yeah, so the Jets have gone through this stuff before. It seems bleak this year, but uh, it is not the worst by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think it's part of a birthright being a Jets fan. Maybe it comes from all the times Joe Namath got hurt back in the day with all his various injuries. It has just gone and passed down from generation to generation. But this one's not too bad because I do think I do think Sam Darnold will be back week five or week six. And that is certainly not the end of the world in terms of uh, their quarterback situation. Uh, that's the end of the show. I just want to thank you guys again for stopping in. Thanks again to my crack producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting this all together. Don't forget, you can listen to Flight Deck anywhere you download your podcast. Give us a listen. The season's got a long way to go, and there'll be plenty of stuff to talk about as we go, and we have some great guests lined up in the coming weeks. And remember, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it.